Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Today, we're going to be talking with Angela Gunder. She's an education equity activist and technologist designer, chief academic officer. I mean, she's a lot of things. She knows a lot of things. So let's just tap right in. First interview in person. What if we did this interview with like wine instead of water? Mm, always good. Mm. You get maybe a different lens yeah. on stories. But yeah. yeah. Tell us where you live. So <laughs> if you want my address, this is creepy. It's got weird. Or tell us, you know, give us a little, a little you know, intro. Yeah. Where you live, what you do, what you like, um, what industry you. I kind of have a weird sort of circuitous path. Um, I grew up in the DC metro area, actually born and raised Arlington, Virginia. And my parents, awesome heroes in my life. My mom, French professor and linguist speaks six languages fluently, is crazy smart and just a badass. And my dad is an engineer, retired engineer, but is more famous for being a Piedmont blues musician, blues from the 1920s and 30s, and teaches all over the world how to play this finger-picking style. So I grew up in a house of... Overachievers? Yeah. My sister is definitely in that category, too, where everything that she does, you know, everything that she touches, super passionate about that work. And a lot of her work has been advocacy, multiple sclerosis. She was diagnosed with MS when she was 21 and has been... Helping people, you know, as much as trying to help herself figure out a, a cause and a cure for the disease. So yeah, like I'm the boring one in this family when like we put everybody together. I tell people that they're like, okay, now we see. Oh my God. <laughs> we didn't believe really yeah, we right. um, But yeah, so I grew up and loved art and design. And I ended up when I left high school, I had been making websites for different nonprofits. My mom had brought home software from her work of course. that they were like hey learn how to use this and she gave it to me and said hey learn how to use this and uh, I nerded out I think it brought together all of my favorite things I love connecting with people talking to people so that was like the visual communication side of the house and I love design and art so I got to do that too and I and code made sense you know my dad is an engineer like yeah. numbers and math all made sense to me too so web design was the way that I could kind of marry those things together so when I got to college I mm -hmm. thought that I was gonna you know be pre-med be a geneticist I went to Fordham in New York City so I'm like living my best life in the city and I was making money for myself as a freelance web designer while you 
were in college? While I was in college and through an advising mistake, and this is the the kind of shit that drives me nuts. One person at an institution can just sort of change the course of your life. My advisor, who was kind of retired, I I think he was pretty much checked out Mm -hmm. of being an advisor, signed off on my courses to take for my second year. They were not the right courses that I should have taken. So I came in as a first year sophomore And then based on his mistake, when I went to the dean, the dean was like, you can either make up the classes that you're going to miss and you'll be a second year freshman, or you can spend a bunch of money Mm -hmm. to take a class over the summer at a university, at a four-year university. My mom worked at a community college, so we were like, we don't understand why I couldn't take this at a community college at a a good time. And I had a really great job at the state department that I would have had to quit the job. So had this moment with my best friend where she was like, I don't know why you're stressing about fitting this class in to stay pre-med. She's like, you're already working as a web designer. Why don't you study that? And I was like, I didn't know you could study this. Like I I legit had no idea. And it turns out that you couldn't at the time because web design was so new, but you could study computer science Science. and you could study studio art. So I double majored and I still tell people, if you want to be a web designer, that's the best thing you can do. The code is going to change over time. So anything that a school is going to teach you in terms of web design, by the time you get out there in the world and are doing it for real, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to be using a completely different system than you even started with. And the things that you learn in a studio art program about visual communication and Mm -hmm. really about how when we see uh, visual forms, when we see color and shape, all of that cognitive psychology does not change either. So you're learning like the core components to be resilient across a career of constant change where tools are going to change, approaches are going to change, but you've got the fundamentals down. But people that were designed to help me and support me weren't there for me in that, in that pivotal moment, you know, but instead I had people that gave me unanticipated gifts, including my best Mm. friend who said, Hey, dum dum. If you're making money on this, like, why aren't you doing this? And it really changed my life. So over the years, I was a web designer and a webmaster for several big schools, including the City College of New York and for Arizona State University's Honors College and for Northern Virginia Community College for the Alexandria campus. And and it's been, it's been wild. Oh, you're smiling as you say it. I mean, it's great. It's like like bringing back good memories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you remember all the people that you get to help in that role. Yeah. And um, I had another kind of Dorothy uh, in Oz seeing everything in color moment Mm -hmm. through that too, that because I was doing this work at colleges and universities, I got a reputation as being the nice woman who knew technology and would help people with their classes. And I had another aha moment of, oh my God, instructional design is a thing. Yeah. And you can be a designer to help build out classes and curriculum and use all these tools in in different ways too. So it kind of brought me to where I am now. And I've been supporting instructional design. I've worked as an instructional designer for for quite some time. But right now I live out in the desert. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm the chief academic officer for a global nonprofit that helps educators either move education or revise and redesign education 
education to be more equitable mm -hmm. and focused on quality, particularly for online uh, blended and digital learning, which I mean, I started that job in December of 2019. And, uh, uh, and you didn't know what was ahead. <laughs> did not know, did not know. And everybody decided to move online once I made the shift yeah. so, to this new position. So it was it was wild. Wow. It was wild. So would you say your term for your work is like education technologist? So much of what I have to do is even though you think online, you think technology. Mm. Yeah. It's not really about technology. It was more about how people respond to and think about things that they're presented with on screens and on the web. And yeah, technology is the way that we serve out that information. Mm. But way more about what I do is, is really related to folks building strategy to help mm. people learn. So technology's there, but that's not my mission. Now I know your career has like transformed over the years, right? From being a webmaster to what you do now yep. seems very different. It seems like you're touching so many different industries. Somehow you figure out a job where you can do like five different jobs at once. It's awful when I tell people the teams that I support, Yeah, it's seven different functional areas. And I always feel like I'm naming kids and I'm like forgetting somebody. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, community engagement. Oh yeah, there it is. You yeah. know, like my org, we do research. We have an institute that does training. We help people with strategic consulting. So if they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, it, and it could be anywhere from a department head that's trying to figure out how to bring more online courses all the way up to a ministry of education for an entire country mm -hmm. we have two options either you can train all of our faculty to teach online or we can close all education in the country until we can have face-to-face oh -face teaching again so yeah that's why when folks are like oh you're 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 in technology it's mm -hmm. like well yeah technology enables us to do the hard work that we need to do to help to connect people to a meaningful education i mean it's really got to be about how do we meet people where they're at and help them with education. It seems like if, if education isn't online, it seems like it can't be equitable. Something that I think we're grappling with is if we don't give students agency and choice over how they choose to learn, it's not just I'm taking a face-to-face -face class versus I'm taking an online class. I have students that are homeless. I have students that don't know where their next meal is coming from, mm -hmm. um, don't have internet access, only have their phones that they can use in order to access the class. It's not a question of whether they can be on site or in person or be online. Yeah. It's a question of how do I make sure that they get across the finish line to complete those learning outcomes like right. everybody else and are not stigmatized in the process of doing it. I mean, you're working with academics, you're working with creatives, you're working with purely tech people, really focus on equity and, and solving some big issues. How do all these things live together? Like, mm -hmm. what does it look like to be switching your brain constantly and also be working with different people who, quite frankly, have different agendas at different times? It's messy. And I think that the other thing that we don't recognize too is how much not only cognitive, but emotional energy it takes to balance all of those competing priorities. And it's hard. I am one of many who are working in that space where there are a lot of different people that have to be a part of the solution, but getting everybody to sing from the same song sheet in the choir is, is a fucking mess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, we sound real bad. We're real off too. All the different octaves. Like, listen. Yeah. I, it's like, yo, yo, <laughs> choir disbanded. Like it's not, it's not happening. But honestly, the thing that's been most powerful to me has been leaning into storytelling and narrative practices and having people share their authentic selves and having me share my authentic self so we can see where our goals align. Mm -hmm. 
And once you've got people saying, yeah, your goal is my goal and I respect you, even though you may have a different approach, Mm -hmm. but if you, if you kind of lead with that, that like, yeah, I'm going to put it out there, you know, on the line for why I care about education. I'm going to tell you about all the times that I was made to feel less than when I was in school. You know, Mm -hmm. I was the brown girl who was only capable of doing X, Y, and Z. And then they realized I was super smart and were like, oh, it's like watching a dog play a piano. And I still get that you know, that shade, but microaggressions, mm. they're not even micro, they're just macro. macro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my favorite on the list uh, that happens quite often is in my role as a CAO, people will be attracted to the way that I speak. Maybe mm. I give a talk and they're like, wow, that was incredible. And somebody at the end will pull me aside mm. and they'll just say, wow, you're really well-spoken. You're really eloquent. Like I'm a, a freak or yeah. an anomaly. And it's just like, I did the work to get to this role in this position. Anybody that's a chief academic officer, anybody that's leading folks in enacting critical change should be a good communicator. They should be eloquent. They should be passionate about what they're talking about. And maybe because you haven't seen more people that look like me that present their goals, their initiatives, their challenges, uh, the calls to action in the way that I'm doing doesn't mean that I'm some sort of weirdo. And I know you mean it from a place of good mm-hmm. but it's just a reminder of how far we are so and the just... bias comes out right because maybe what they could have said or wanted to say was that was a really good talk yeah cool but that's not how it came out no. they showed their hand no right? <laughs> and all I hear is like yeah I know I expect you to sound stupid when you were up there <laughs> and you didn't so congratulations yeah <laughs> no you didn't sound like a fool And it's funny, my mom, you know, she used to do this. I would see it quite often. You know, we jokingly in the family talk about how my mom, my sister and I are kind of ethnically ambiguous. Like you don't necessarily know what we claim as our race or ethnicity or identity unless you have a conversation with us. And if you do make judgments about those things by just looking at us, you're probably pretty fucking racist. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also monitor and judge people for how they ask about our identity. If it's like, uh, damn girl, are you, you know, Polynesian or Samoan or like, you know, or like, what are you? I love that question of what are you? Okay. So that's like probably, I, that probably happens a lot, right? Quite a bit. Okay. Cause I feel like that's just everyday grocery store language. And I'm like, why are you asking me that question? Are you asking me because you want me to code myself in a box that now your mental algorithm, you can sort of check that off and say, all right, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Or are you asking me that because you really care to hear about the history of my family (laughs) and the things that I care about culturally that are a part of who I am? If we're in the grocery store and you ask, like, what are you? I probably, you're probably group one. You're probably not group two. Yeah. So it's always, you know, anything that anybody's asking us about any of the facets of our identity, come correct. Yeah. You know, and ask yourself why you're asking. Are you asking to make yourself feel better? Are you asking because your mental algorithm is broken and Mm -hmm. you can't classify? Because that's all we want to do as humans is put people in boxes and classify. And if we see some some pattern that doesn't match up to any other pattern, then it, it halts the computer. Yeah. And we've got to figure out some way to rectify it. It's not my job to fix your computer. Is this like an education inequity issue also? Lack of access. You know, you've yeah. li- you've never seen someone perhaps that looks like me. 100%. So now you're like, oh, well, hold on, hold on. I need to know more in this grocery store aisle because I need to know 
who you are, what you are, so that I can learn about other categories of people. And again, I mean, there are things about my identity that I think that people would just sort of assume by seeing me or spending a little bit of time with me, but they might not be the things that I privilege or prioritize. And that's all of us. Like, what do we care about the most? You know, come with a little bit of humility and uh, and a genuine desire to learn about folks and don't put anybody in a box. I mean, that's why, oh my God, my favorite thing is to ask people questions. My favorite thing is to meet new people and to ask them tons of questions, not because I care about their specific answers to the question, Mm -hmm. but I love how they frame the answers to the question. So, you know, coming into spaces as a Black woman, what is that like? I mean, you talk at a million different places all over the world. You're booked and busy, (laughs) as people like to say, like, I'm sure you have a lot of different reactions with people. What do you get? The one thing that I think I still struggle with the most, and I don't think it's just limited to Black women, but is making sure that people's intentions are good for why they're interested in you. Mm -hmm. I have plenty of people that I have to take a beat and be like, are you asking me to be here because you know about my research, you know about my scholarship, you know about what I'm passionate about, and you Mm -hmm. want me to tell that story to your community? Or is it that you want to check a box and make it look like you're woke because you have this eloquent black woman up there who's who's getting up there and talking and you know is preaching the same gospel that you're that you're trying to preach it's tough I mean sometimes I'm like am I just part of another show that somebody else is putting on or am I there to make people feel better um and if I'm still up there but I I am able to move people to action and Mm -hmm. it's an action that I want to see to meet my goals do I still do it yeah And that's a struggle. That reminds me of this constant challenge working in nonprofits. Do we take money from the bigoted people? Yeah. Are we helping somebody forgive the sins that they've committed? And I think that the bigger question is if it's part of somebody's transition, if it's part of somebody's journey or their change work that they're doing, then you need to have that conversation with them as to whether that's really true or not. It's hard to unpack those things and figure that out, especially as nonprofits are struggling to figure out where the money is coming and from. School, and and the, schools, and right? Schools are the nonprofits, right? So yeah. most of these universities are considered nonprofit status. Yeah. And, and then I feel privileged saying, don't take the money because that's usually my stance. Let's be honest. It's not. It's, it's dirty not far money. From mine. Yeah. <laughs> but but somebody who has nothing or has less than me, less opportunity, less resource, less education, any of that might be like you don't turn down money. It doesn't matter where it came yeah. from. Take it and do what you yeah. want with it. Use it for good. I've sort of given up on the idea that I'm the only one that can move change forward. And if somebody has money to give and their values are antithetical to mine then there are probably other people that they could give that money to. And I'm going to do my hard work to find money, finding resources Mm -hmm. because time and support are just as important as money is. I'm going to find people that align to my values. And the way that they show that they align to my values is through action, not through writing a check. Right. Um, Again, showing privilege there. um, And and really in in this instance, it's sort of the privilege of your connections Mm -hmm. and your social currency and your capital that you could feel confident enough to say no to one group that you know is not moving you toward your goals and your values to try to find somebody else that is, even if it's going to be harder for you in the interim. Yeah. I was talking about using the network. Yeah. And I was saying I don't normally feel comfortable with that. Even when I legitimately have a relationship with somebody, I hate yeah. asking for things. 
Well, my immediate hot take to that, as soon as you said it, was mm. isn't that another gendered politic that you have so many folks that are out there that they do not have that hesitation. And I see a lot of women that share that same philosophy. I think for me, where I've struggled with it, it's not that I don't want to leverage my network. Mm. I'm really proud of the people that I have in my network, but I don't want that relationship to be transactional or right. one way. Yeah. So I'm very considerate about what I'm putting back in. Mm-hmm. And Quite often, I see a lot of guys just kicking it where they're asking for favors and they never want to pay that bill back to anybody, anybody else. So the other thing too, is that when I find people that I want to keep close, those are usually the people that I'm noticing how observant they are as Mm. well. So if they see a situation where they can contribute, maybe in service to something that you did for them, maybe not, Mm. I keep that close too. And I will say that my list of women that do that is much longer than my list of men. Yeah. I hate being like that. It's like other people can use their privilege without even like thinking about it. It's like, why can't? Yeah, use their name, use their experience, and they don't think that there's anything that you sort of have to cash later. You don't have to fill the well back up. And some of us are like scrambling to find ways to pay the person back. Even in not like an equal way to be like, can I just take you to dinner? Like, can I just do something because you feel so grateful that somebody was kind to you? Yeah. It's almost like desperate. Like, thank you so much for opening the door for me (laughs) it's kind of sad a little bit but yeah I mean it shouldn't be like a checkbook that you have to balance but I think you should be smart about it I think you should know who are the people that are adding to your life Mm -hmm. and who are the people that are detracting from your life and maybe do some editing you know what sometimes I tell myself I'm being thoughtful of other people because particularly if I'm asking women for that help they might have been taken advantage of in the past even though they have not told me that When people work at well-known places and everybody knows that's on their LinkedIn, it's on Facebook, your college friends are reaching out all of a sudden who never talk to you. I feel for people like that who are in those positions. Something that one of my friends shared with me, I was in the process of planning a conference and at the conference we needed to do something around networking and we wanted it to be, you know, authentic and meaningful, but a lot of people have a lot of stigma around, or there are stigmas around networking and what that can be and how artificial it is. And, And he said, that networking is like just having a conversation with somebody out there on the street where anybody that you've sort of met new where you have a question you put it out there and a person would have the opportunity to say yes I know about this Mm. or no I don't know about this but I know this other person who does or I don't know anything about this but good luck to you no harm no foul right and when he unpacked it that way I was like oh I love questions I love Mm. asking people questions it's more like hey what are you interested in what are you doing And, and obviously with in a conference, you do have one overarching goal or yeah. that everybody's coming together Everyone's around. thinking the same thing. Yeah, so, so it's easier to come up with questions yeah. within that space. But we had to do a design for this. Mm. And I did a logo of a hummingbird because yeah. you just think about a hummingbird sort of flitting around, like incredibly social and yeah. in presentation, <laughs> super quick zipping. And they kind of like dip their beak into a flower and they're there for a moment mm. and then they're off to the next thing. But yeah. they can always go back to that flower again yeah. if they wanted to and um you could kind of drift from from place to place and and there wouldn't be any sort of stigma to doing that and I don't know I think we need to unpack some of these hesitations that we have Mm. about building those interactions in authentic and genuine ways and again it becomes less like you're bugging somebody or you owe them something when you lead with your authentic self yeah I feel like as black women we're also taught to be really humble so part of that is not pushing the limit and pushing the limit is asking more questions can be can be I mean there's different contexts 
too, where where you ask questions could be a sign of disrespect. Yeah. You know, I think about the households of my family. Yeah. yeah. And it's more complex for me because my mom is half Brazilian and half Sicilian and my dad is black. So there are rules for the Italian side of the family. There are rules for the Brazilian mm. side of the family. You can even like dig into like the Afro-Brazilian side of the family too. And like all of it's socially negotiated. Yeah. Can you give us an example? One of the things that I'm really passionate about is cooking. The ways in which we learn to cook have a lot to do with the ways in which we learn. Okay. And I think about the kitchens of my grandmothers. Mm-hmm. So my dad's mom, it was very much a place where you had to earn your spot in the kitchen. It took a long time for me to be able to be welcome in that space. And it goes back to what I was talking about before that you kind of teed up of you can't just walk in and ask questions. She didn't have time yeah. to hear the questions. She was cooking the meal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but she also wanted a certain level of respect for mm. the work that was being done and knowledge. And it's kind of like, you need to do the work. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I was a, what, like a fifth grader. Right. And I, was like, <laughs> like, I, need, I need to do the work right. before I can, I can be in here and help you make these sweet potatoes. Right. But like, yes. This is crazy. I'm a child. Right. Absolutely. Yes. I needed to do the work. And, you know, it also, it had to do with how much I really showed that I genuinely wanted to learn the things that she was taking part in. Mm-hmm. So some of the recipes in our family you can't really write them down. Mm -hmm. They're they're things that uh, they're either oral traditions or they're things that are just, you know, you see physically what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So for instance, the cornbread recipe that was passed down from, you know, generations within our family, the only way that we could really document it was videotaping my grandmother making it. Um, And, but it was one of those things that before she was even willing to open up that space to have me be in there and cook with her, I had to show that I, I cared about it. I respected it. And I, I had to sort of represent that I was willing to carry on those traditions. My mom's mom, she has taught me how to cook tons and tons of things. In fact, she's my culinary mentor. But when I first started cooking for her, and actually I attribute the first thing that I ever made to cooking in her house, I made stuffed peppers by myself. And I had kind of followed a recipe. She had given me some guidance. But when she went and sat down and ate the meal, and I was pretty young, she judged me like I was an adult. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> she 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 read me. Let's see fi- what you've learned. Read me right. for film, you know, for for the, the stuffed peppers that I made, and, uh, and it was great because when I was a kid, I realized that I had her time and I had her attention, but she was also treating me like I was an adult who yeah. done the work. Yeah, not babying you, even though I was probably in like first grade. Oh, I mean, what? really, really young. Making stuffed peppers. Yeah. Don't do not try this at home, or maybe oh try this at home. I don't know. I thought it was advanced for making my own lunch at that point, like <laughs> on the eating, stool, eating like a, making a sandwich, eating and, a full lunch. Right. Yeah. I mean, I caught the bug, and I and I think in in that way, it was it was also a good reminder to you of there is some responsibility when you carry on that legacy of mm-hmm. care, and um, and it could be as small as an interaction and leveraging your network, but mm-hmm. it could be as big as carry on traditions of your of your family too mm-hmm. and all of that takes work and it takes um effort to put that out there that, that you care but I, I i do believe that it gets returned yeah um i think people see that authenticity and for the most part people do not take advantage of it i do think uh, it happens a lot in households where where that culture is so important mm-hmm. uh, to identity and those things aren't they're not split up yeah so Listen, I know you've seen some things and I need you to tell us some of your secrets. I need you to tell us some stories. Give us a little tea. Just a little bit. Spill the tea. A little afternoon tea here. Uh, Yeah. What are 
some scenarios, some situations you've been in in your workplaces that you've been like, oh, I can't believe this? One of the things that really gets me the most uh, in workplaces, and it still happens, has to do with intersectionality, that if people can see a certain facet of your identity, and even your disability, they act one way in one context, and then they completely change in, in another. I've been in spaces where folks will treat me in a certain way because they're like, okay, I can't say something like this if a Black person is in the room, but will be perfectly happy to be shitty to all sorts of other dimensions of, of diversity. Folks actually act like, you're lucky that we're giving you space uh, to be here within this um, within this community, enough to advocate for the, whatever minoritized population that you are from. <laughs> I've heard people also, they cannot see your, your disability, uh, you know, right there. If you're not in a wheelchair, but you right. might still be disabled, then there's all sorts of, of discrimination that folks have faced. And it goes back to that money piece of how do you serve in an organization where folks are selective about, you know, how they share their real intentions. But it really comes down to if I'm in um, a group of power and privilege that I'm going to feel good about myself because I've quote unquote made space yeah. for you to just be yeah. and exist and and be tolerated. It's been tough. I've had plenty of instances where I'm like, fuck this. Yeah. Like it's not my job to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but um, I try to lead with grace. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm ready to ask you more questions, but very quickly. And then you're going to have to answer these questions. Rapid fire. Yeah. Or just, if they're not really questions, I just want you to say what comes to mind when I say these different things. Let's do it. Ready? Yes. Okay. The new Twitter. <sighs> do not want. Your IG feed. Highly curated. I think that social media should be a space where you curate it to bring joy. So mine is pretty much drag queens and um, pugs and recipe fails and a lot of art, like so much art. Okay. Um, pineapple on pizza. Indifferent. Okay. People are really passionate about it. Why? Yeah, it's an argument. Why do you Why do you have to care so much? I don't know. It's just like the top food. What's your argument. take? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love balancing sweet and savory. Okay, and when people yeah. give you shit for it, how do you feel? Most people do. I feel betrayed. I feel like <laughs> you don't have any taste in food. I feel like you can't accept like complex flavors. Google Home or Alexa? Ooh, neither. <laughs> it's really funny. So to get super nerdy. Uh, my dissertation is about binaries not existing. Oh. So you give me a bunch of either or questions. Yeah. It's fascinating for me. <laughs> no. I also, as a rule follower, like to push back on rules that I don't believe in. So okay. I am notorious for people asking me a question. And I'm like, I'm going to push back on that question. Okay. I'm living it's for It's all this abstract. I'm okay. For it. Uh, LinkedIn learning course. Bullshit. <laughs> How to feeling about that? <laughs> TikTok challenges. You know, I love when a group comes together around a cause. Um, so I'm I'm all in for it. But okay. honestly, I I've never done one. Um, online only universities. Fine with it. Slide decks. Fine with you know surprisingly fine Psycho. with them. Psycho. Sorry, I'm not supposed to be putting my own judgments in. Yes, yes. Insert judgment, like at me at this. Um, so I think of a slide deck as being a blank canvas. And I don't believe in how people use them when they just sort of take something and treat it like I'm going to take this template and that that's it. Yeah. It is a space for me to sort of challenge notions of what a slide deck can do. Um, animated storytelling. Any type of storytelling is is my jam. Your thing. Um, Squarespace 
or WordPress. <laughs> did you do did you do your research before? <laughs> I did, you interviewed I did. <laughs> um, I think that if you are trying to just get a web presence up and you need to get going, Squarespace is absolutely a place that you could do that. But mm. Um, you're going to hit a wall at some point. You're going to want to do awesome Ooh. things. And maybe you should call a WordPress developer like me. Okay. Oh, I didn't know. That. Actually, I didn't know which me. way you were going to go. But yeah. No, WordPress all the way. Okay. People are very passionate about these things. Sugar and spaghetti. <sighs> Oh, I have call some, your grandma. I have some. I have some. <laughs> I have some, some very strong feelings. Go on. So, listen. Listen. <laughs> I think about it more about the sauce. So if you're making like a marinara sauce or really a bolognese, um, you're going to have the sweetness of the tomatoes. Why the fuck would you add extra sugar to that sauce? Also, use good tomatoes. Like, don't use crap. I don't want to see your prego or your ragu that already has tons of sugar in it. And you're going to add even more sugar to it. That's not what it's about. But if you do like sugar in tomatoes, I have a great recipe to make tomato tart that you can serve with basil gelato. And that's great. You have so many different sides to you. So many different interests. and, And I mean, I guess we could all say we have different interests, but things that you're like really knowledgeable about like I mean I'm interested in sunglasses but I couldn't tell you the first thing about sunglasses sunglasses. (laughs) I have 30 pairs of sunglasses but I couldn't tell you where they're made how they're made who invented them I'll tell you this this life is super short and nothing is promised and all we have is the joy of the spark that we can have by connecting with other people so I think it's less about whether I care about you know sugar and spaghetti and more Mm. that I can talk to humans who who have feelings about those things or don't and uh, see what makes them tick and why they care well thank you for your hot takes on everything and and sharing with us your career journey um my very last question I guess is for somebody who wants to have a career that has many intersections like yours and, and has kind of their hand in different pots like what's your best advice for them I think you need to have your ear perked up and tuned to big questions that keep you up at night and people that are asking similar questions as yours. And what it means is that your career will not necessarily have a specific path or trajectory, but you'll never feel like you're doing things that you don't care about. You'll never be working with people that you don't respect. And you'll never be in a situation where you don't feel like you're growing or or contributing to somebody else's growth. So just follow those pathways, ask those questions and be around people that are asking those big questions too. And some awesome things will happen. Some scary things will happen. Some challenging things will happen, but some awesome things will happen too. Thank you. Thank you. I told y'all Angela knows a lot of stuff. I love talking to her. I just love it. So my question for you this week, out of all the things that we talked about, is I want to know about how you're using your network. It's really a sticking point for people. Are you actively trying to develop your network? Are you utilizing your connections? Are you okay asking for favors or are you a little afraid? All right. Dig into that this week. Bye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.